what my, my bit was for, you know, a uh, conversation topic already in progress. Well, how about we talk about my dental work? Oh, yeah, that's right, because apparently you're, like, having a root canal or something, or you may need one, which sounds terrifying. Yes. I got referred, yeah. The dentist referred me to the special dentist. Wow, you it's never go good when they refer you to yeah to a the special dentist, dentist is in the same, the same yeah what? endodentology or something god the same building not... though is the good thing that sounds so involved you know what i'm just trying to remember that there's a lot of people out there who have to choose between rent and having a tooth that doesn't rot in their heads which sucks and while this is annoying perspective hashtag take care of your teeth yes Lord knows and fight I'm... for universal dental insurance Lisa needs braces dental plan do you not remember that episode of the Simpsons who needs braces Lisa no like there no, was I this... know who Lisa is yeah like there was this crazy there was like an episode of the Simpsons where Homer had to decide whether to, you know, not campaign for, like, de a dental plan for the plant workers or not, and it just turned out that Lisa needed braces, and there was this whole, like, running joke where Homer's just hearing in his, in his brain, you know, Lisa needs braces, and then Lenny is like, dental plan? And it just goes back and forth until someone drops a pencil in Homer's butt crack and he loses his train of thought. That is a pretty good way to distract somebody. Especially Homer Simpson. No, you know what, actually, I don't, I think no matter who you are, if somebody drops a pencil in your butt crack, that's, <laughs> that's the end of that thought. <laughs> it's like, oh, yep, that train has derailed. Well, you know, there was a spike on the tracks. Mm-hmm. In any event, this is Casting the Net. This is your go-to podcast to hear about movies that may have gotten a limited theatrical release, if they got a theatrical release at all, and none are having theatrical releases anyway, so you're in the right place as far as I'm concerned. And however you like to enjoy movies in the comfort of your own home, those are the movies we're going to be talking about. I am Ken K. This is Cohen. And today we have a Netflix original that I was really excited for when I saw the trailer. And I said, yes, I need to have my body ready for this because this looks like it's going to be a real one. And we are, of course, talking about the Charlize Theron starring action film The Old Guard. Which, in fact, was very, very good. I, it wasn't on my radar the way I think it was on your radar and a lot of other people's, but I was very pleased. Well, here's the thing, because as we get to like the midpoint of the summer, and especially as it relates to our continuing lockdown situation, and of course theaters are closed, so there's not, we get the impression that there's not much of a quote-unquote summer movie season and usually around this time we're host to at least two or three Marvel films because they've been averaging about that per year for the last five years so obviously yeah, when was um, Black Widow meant to come out Black Widow was meant to come out uh beginning of May and that got moved back to November. So we'll see if that release date still ends up holding, but Lord knows there are a lot of people out there that still want to do dumb shit as far as, you know, masks, uh, orders, and, you know, ignoring those. And I don't want to be too critical of those people, but at the same time... Be critical! Yeah, be yeah, as yeah. critical as you want. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very unfortunate to see how certain politicians are handling this because there are a lot who there are a lot of folks who still want to have kids return to school for the fall school year and there's 
everything to suggest that it is the worst idea possible because it is. Oh, uh, we, yeah, we don't need, people have been debating back and forth. Will this happen? Will that happen? We've already seen what happened because Israel did it and went from almost zero cases to choof. Yeah. Choof means very many. <laughs> is That's the official translation? Yes. I'll just to be your... clear, that's not Hebrew. That's just my personal language. Ah, yes. But I think it's going to catch on. I want to think, I, let's make Choof the fetch of this year. I'm pulling for you, Cohen. I know. Yeah, so anyway, this is actually based on an indie comic book, and the writer of the comic, Greg Rucka, actually provided the screenplay for this, so that was pretty cool. And this was directed by Gina Prince Bythewood, who, if anyone's going to know her for anything, it's more than likely going to be the 2000 film Love and Basketball. And she obviously has other credits to her filmography, like The Secret Life of Bees and um, Beyond the Lights. And those were more in, all of those films are very much in sort of like the situational drama genre. And you don't get the impression that she would be the person you'd pick for a high concept action film like The Old Guard, which revolves around a group of uh, immortal soldiers who have had countless battles over several millennia and are now in danger of being discovered and also have to deal with a new immortal coming up in, in the world that they now have to train. So you get a lot. I, you, you were saying? Actually, yes. I, interestingly, I think her background in love and basketball really shows here. Because oh, a dynamic, really just shooting a dynamic, real-looking athletic woman in love and basketball and dealing with a complex love story, which are both things that happen here in the context of an action movie, but that plays to her strengths. She's shown, I think... Honestly, when somebody has directed a successful sports movie, that's often a good way to gauge how they'll do with a bigger action movie because you have to learn how to shoot. No yes. pun intended. <laughs> so if she, if, I hate to fall back on this. No, I don't. I love to fall back on this. But if she had been a guy, I think she would have been doing action way sooner than she gets to do it now. Well, it's kind of funny because In her she career. Yeah, because she was actually um, tapped to direct a Spider-Man spinoff for Sony that was going to feature the characters of Black Cat and Silver Sable. And that was sort of long in development and ultimately fell apart. And yeah, I do agree with you that her sensibilities as a dramatic director actually work really well in this film because there are so many unconventional, unconventional choices that are being made deliberately that help to serve and inform story and character. Yeah, I think actually, you mentioned that it's a high concept movie. If this were in the hands of somebody who was playing it more straight, it would be, mm, let's call it the most generic movie, possibly of the month. and maybe of the summer, but as it is, she brings a distinctive, yeah, a heart to it and yeah. a groundedness. The, the movie, the dynamic between these characters feels lived in, except for the new character. Uh, yeah, this that, is um, Niall, played by Kiki Lane. Yeah, who is great. I hadn't, yeah. Yeah, no, she's incredible in this film. And yeah, to what you're saying, as far as the approach that she, Gina Bythewood is, Prince Bythewood is taking as far as directing it and just having the original creator of the co-creator of the comic writing the screenplay, I feel like there is a certain sensibility as far as how they are approaching the action. Because one of the things that I really enjoyed about the film was how you get a sense for the characters 
based on how they fight with one another. Because you have scenes where someone will shoot someone with a shotgun and then another person will swing that person around to get chopped by the axe of another person or by the sword of another person. And there's just a fluidity and language to the action that plays directly into the character dynamics in a way that I feel like you usually do not see in action films. And yeah, I think, this crew well, has been together and it shows. Yeah, I think in terms of certain action movies, it's just action for the sake of action, which is fine, but it's also important to acknowledge that, okay, through the action, you can tell the story and strengthen the characters simultaneously. And I feel like the old guard does that in a very unique and engaging way. And it's one thing if you're watching a movie like John Wick, where Keanu Reeves is just doing all of this complex action and fighting multiple characters. But to see certain scenes where one character will get thrown over the shoulder of another, and then the other person will kick them and then pass a weapon to the other person to stab them. Just to see how that <laughs> works is actually very enjoyable. And obviously you have that first scene where they're, they believe themselves on to be on a legit mission and they end up being set up and that's the catalyst for everything else going on in the film. And yeah, it occurs, I hadn't thought of it until right now, but she does, the the way that they fight when they're fight. yeah, the way that they fight together as a unit looks a lot like the way that, you know, they pass enemies around like basketballs. Yeah. They do. They work together the same way, that's a team sport for them. Yes. And I think that's yes, something, I, yeah. I am going to so, keep coming back to love it basketball and i make no. no no please do because you're like you know establishing that thread and making the case for why uh gita prince bythewood was so good a choice as a director for the film well the the case once you see the film you don't really need to make a case for it she does a really great job yeah but yeah you can really see where her background led her she's got yes. a style and I, we, I, I'm glad that she got to do this project. I'm glad that it's successful, and I hope she gets to do more. I mean, she's already tapped to uh, direct a film with Viola Davis about um, African female warriors. So, I mean, there you go. And I'm sure there's still going to be, you know, a certain level of drama to it as far as what kind of film it's going to be, but you do get the sense that she is approaching the old guard as she would any dramatic film. And I think that there is something that helps to elevate it in terms of the action movies we do see. Because I think another thing that really helps is the choices for music in the film. Because I oh think yeah, that, that, they're just great. Yeah, because one, I think that for a film like this where yes you'd probably market it to a general audience without a without an awareness of who might be watching it if you're just marketing it the way you would any conventional action film that's going to be released wide for um for general audiences you get the sense that they're trying to, not necessarily trying, but actually succeeding in using contemporary popular music, which um, some fans hate as far as comic book films because they're kind of snooty and pretentious. Like, it's, it's one of those things that I hate comic book fans saying, like, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want there to be any popular music in this film because that's going to date it and it's not going to be as timeless. And I'm like, please stop trying to trying to like project prestige onto comic book films in a way as to make them more palpable for like the Oscar bait audience. Like, I don't care. Like, I love John Williams. We all love John Williams, but John Williams doesn't need to score everything. 
I mean, sometimes, yeah. and I, and as just as a tangent, sometimes dating a movie is not a bad thing. I look at Guardians of the Galaxy. They used that movie to create a archaic datedness, but a datedness nonetheless. Well, I look at it as, but in and this, I, yeah. I think that was an exception people made because they acknowledged it as an ironic juxtaposition. Well, I think we can at least agree that comic book fans can be snooty. Oh, yes, absolutely. This is good ambient music. Yeah, yeah, and it's such that you get the sense that, okay, yes, this is a film that's for everyone, but there's like almost a deliberate you know, mandate of trying to directly speak to um, young people of color in their 20s with some of the music choices, which I thought Given that one of the primary protagonists is... Is, yes. A young uh, woman in her 20s. Yes, a young woman of color. And that's, again, one of the things that obviously is holding the film together. As badass as Charlize Theron is, as Andy... You also have the counterbalance of Kiki Lane as Nile and her being the new person that has to make sense of everything. And again, even in introducing her character, a lot of attention is paid to using action to inform character. And this is a movie about warriors. Yeah. So when you and get to you Yeah, you you learn it's not surprising, actually, what I should say is it's kind of unfortunately surprising that it's so rare to see a warrior defined in a movie so well by fighting styles. Yeah. Because I hadn't even thought, until you brought it up, I didn't realize, yeah, we don't see that enough. And it also helps just because you have that l- very short period of time before her, you know, first death as it were because like what cat the catalyst for her realizing that she's immortal now is played out in such a way as to really sell you on this character that you've only been introduced to like less than five minutes ago and in seeing her die is legitimately heartbreaking even though you're obviously in the mindset of no she's a character who's going to be throughout the entirety of the film because she's the new immortal in the group but even with all of that pre-existing knowledge at least for me because i know you didn't watch the trailer um i still felt that moment and you have this moment where her you know soldier you know her fellow soldiers are trying to keep her alive and you have this one little single tear that's dropping from her eye as she's realizing, holy shit, I'm about to die. And that was such a great- Yeah, just because, I mean, one of the things they say is, just because we can't die, it doesn't mean we can't hurt. And she thinks she's dying. You feel for the character because right in that moment, she's terrified. Yeah. She's terrified a lot. I mean, That's understandable. She gets thrust into a very, very strange world. <laughs> I mean, you have the great scene of and Andy picking her up from the military base, and her waking up in the back of a of a hum of a you know tactical Hummer, and just how that yeah, plays um, out. I, <laughs> picking her up, I think, implies more of a hey, Niall, come here. And then get in the get out, get in, loser. We're going crusading or whatever. It, she abducts her from the military base. Yes, for yes. her own good, for Niall's own good. Yeah, because but, yeah, because obviously everyone in the base is like, "How are you alive?" Yeah, it it pivots really quickly. We see in because we see in the reaction of the modern soldiers very yes. quickly the a theme that will recur throughout which is the superstition and hatred directed at immortals yeah it gets na- yeah it gets referenced to something in the past but it's obviously also in the present people are disturbed by what they can't understand yeah 
and then other people are trying to learn what they don't understand, as is evidence from uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor's character as an extension for another character in the film who is fascinated at the prospect of being able to find out why these individuals are immortal and use it to their own advantage. So you do have that. Yeah. Yes. So you do have the, you know, evil CEO of a pharmaceutical company trying to, you know, profit. Yes. Yeah. He's a weirdo in that. And (laughs) if they weren't thinking about Martin Scarelli when they wrote this character, then. Oh my God. No, there, there is no it. If they were, they had to have been. Well, I mean, you know, if that's where um, Greg Rucka was when he was writing the comic, I guess. But, yeah, and his, his, I was also unsettled by, you know, back to talking about dental issues and whatnot. I, I, I felt like his teeth were aggressively British. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I yeah and and uh, uh, obviously like it's it's wrong of me to like crack on people about their teeth and they may have their reasons for why they don't seek to correct certain issues but yeah he, his in particular were aggressively British yeah and it he's got a strange face one side of his face is more compact than the other side of his face. It's, it's, mm, it's, it's vaguely Quasimodo-esque. Oh, God damn. That is harsh. I wasn't even trying to go that hard with it. I did. That's cool. That's what I'm for. (laughs) But, yeah, so you just kind of have this great dynamic with the immortal characters, especially, um, uh, Mar- Marwan Kanzari and uh, Luca, Marine- uh, Luca Marinelli as Joe and Nikki, Playing. respectively. Yep, and that's... This has already been talked about, but they play a pair of lovers who have been together for a thousand years. Since the Crusades. Where they met and tried to kill... and I'm sorry, successfully killed each other. Many, many times. times. <laughs> they like, are so adorable. <laughs> it, it it is great. Like the way Joe just dotes on Nikki and just wants to make sure he's okay. Like even when they have moments when they're both getting shot, you know, either of them is getting shot to shit, and because there's always that fear of okay, is this going to be the last time that I can regenerate? Because that's also, like, something that they talk about in the film. But just to see how it plays out is just... very It's done very tastefully. It's not trying to draw attention to itself, even though there is one very profound monologue that stands out. But other than that... It, they try to make it feel as natural as possible because that's the way it should be. Yeah, they, there's no, there's never a point except, yeah, you realize these guys are in a relationship because of the way they sleep together on a bus. That's not, I'm sorry, a train car. Yeah, like they're, they're yeah. holding, they're spooning on the bus and they make it pretty obvious from the onset. Yeah, so, but that, it's obvious in the way that actual people find out about things. Yeah, it's not it's not a it's not a grandiose declaration or anything that needs to be you know it doesn't need to grind the film to a halt, basically per se, and that's obviously something that's important as more and more films try to be, you know, representative of real life and of members of the LGBT community just to make sure that, you know, we, they see themselves within whatever films are being produced for mass audiences. And not just that they see themselves, but that straight audiences see them because it works both ways. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's actually paradoxical, but one of the ways that you can tell 
whether a queer relationship on film rings true is could you sort of replicate the dynamic okay and the problems they face if it was a straight couple and you absolutely in the can sense that yeah and you could like you absolutely could if you made one of them female it would not change a goddamn thing and that's what matters if you made two of them female, it would immediately become the lesbian movie of the decade. That too. Although, I mean... Just do... trust me. Uh, so... Yeah. I, 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 will, I will trust you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always... But no, I'm always it's not to... like... It, no, it's I... not like they wake up and go, I am gay today. Yeah. They, they love each other. Yeah. And that love transcends time. Like, that's the thing, you know, it's just... If Get you, you just someone who looks at you like Joe looks at Nikki. Yeah! Like, a thousand-year love affair is nothing to fuck with. I swear to God, man. Like, it was... It, it really, like, spoke to me, and I was very happy to see it, because I wasn't expecting it. I had wanted to pick up the graphic novel before the movie came out so I could, re you know, check that out. But I was already half, I was already like half a dozen deep in the graphic novel purchases and I'm only halfway through reading one of them. So I felt bad saying to myself, ooh, let me spend more money. But yeah, I think the only thing that I felt was really lacking in the film was and this is true of a lot of Netflix original films where I feel like sometimes the cinematography is just a little too flat. The thing is, actually, I was thinking about that too, and I watched part of it on my Android, my Samsung. Mm -hmm. I'm not being paid by Samsung. And it works on a phone. The thing about Netflix originals is the ones that will continue to be made are the ones whose cinematography works on the micro screen. I guess I did think about that. And, you know, maybe I have to put that to the test just because I never try to watch a movie on my phone. And especially now in a situation where I don't have to because I already, I already have my laptop or my TV to defer to. So I'm usually not in situations that would be conducive for me watching a movie on my phone. Yeah, I usually, I watched most of this on my laptop, but when I think about it, especially if it is an action type movie yeah. that is made, that's made for the small screen, mm -hmm. because a lot of people do do that. Whatever, ha yeah, whatever happens in terms of us getting to go outside again at some point, these movies will still have to work on a teeny tiny screen because that's how a lot they if they're not capable of doing that they are not doing their job as a streaming original movie i mean this is the big conceit of uh the platform quibi which uh is not necessarily already on its way out but there have been reports of, you know, massive drop-offs in subscribers after the free trial. And I'm still kind of wavering between whether I'm for or against it. I don't think I'd ever necessarily be outright against it, just because however people can get out content, I want to be supportive of. But I was definitely in the camp of, I don't know if I want to watch movies and TV this way, where it's just these five to ten minute episodes that you're supposed to watch on your phone. As a concept, it has merit. But if people aren't grooving on it, it, it was not a dumb experiment. Yeah. And time will tell. Maybe it's been an unsuccessful one. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, you know, in a few months or so, we might see Quibi have a resurgence and have people really on board for it. And Lord knows I saw a trailer for um, this, for something Kevin Hart was doing called um, Die Hart, where he's trying to be, 
he's trying to break away from his comedic persona and he goes to a training to become an action star and it's led by John Travolta. And who knows, this might be- Isn't he already an action star? Well, I think in the sense that, you know, if you're a comedian in an action movie, you're usually being a comedic element in that action movie. So this whole thing is about him wanting to be taken seriously as an action actor. And obviously there's a lot of, obviously the whole thing is a comedy itself, but it still speaks to something that I'm sure a lot of comedic actors are, have probably wrestled with. Like I still, I still kind of look at um, uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans wanting to be known for action movies and doing stuff like Most Wanted, which was basically Shooter before Shooter. And oh God, Shooter! I had forgotten about that movie. I love that movie. It's just Headshot City. <laughs> yeah. And 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 Danny Glover as a villain again. You know it's. It, as far as villain roles, you have like, you know, the color purple, and then Shooter. There's never a bad time for Danny Glover. No, there isn't. Absolutely not. Yeah. But um, yeah. As far as the old guard, this, I, it's not like it was surprising to me, just because I was already kind of on board. I saw the, I saw the trailer. I saw Charlize Theron with short hair again, and, you know, between her roles in Fury Road and Atomic Blonde, and now this, like, this is something that she, you know, she looks natural as all hell in an action movie, and a lot of that is probably, you know, due to her being, hold on, this is, (laughs) she's a lot, she's sort of this generation's Linda Hamilton. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, you know, she's already got, I feel like, a very athletic frame that lends itself to action movies anyway. I think she's probably, like, the tallest one out of all the ones who are playing the immortal characters. Yeah, I I, I hadn't... I'm not sure. I think it's possible that Joe is a little taller, but she's definitely up there. She has a commanding enough a presence to really sell that character. And then you oh. still have this great acting ability from her that sells all of the vulnerable moments in the film where, you know, she's looking back on everything she hasn't been able to do, uh, losing other immortals along the way. And you feel that pain of her feeling like what is the point of me living for thousands of years in a world that does not seem to want to get better than it is yeah that that's which touches on those are the two main themes in this the, the two main dramatic themes are a sense of nihilism of building hopelessness why am i here and also this movie is more about solitude than it is about anything else yeah. Except for awesome. It's solitude and awesome fight scenes. Yes. Yeah, it, and the two go hand in hand. The life the life of an immortal is just by design very likely to be very lonely unless you manage to get into a century-spanning love affair. Did I mention how jealous I am? <laughs> I know these aren't even real guys, but no, the, the themes, yeah, yeah. One of the things I like about it, and I'm not going to go into spoilers, is how that is resolved by the end of the movie in a really grounded kind of way. It works. You see a purpose. Yeah, she's given a chance, and we're given a chance to see her in context. Yes. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. And again, it's just sort of a testament to this idea that we're always, you know, and I speak, when I say we, I mean that in like general terms. I'm not specifically calling anyone out or ourselves out, but we're always very skeptical when 
um, women are headlighting action films sometimes, or even directing action films. So it's always nice to see that, yes, these directors who, yeah, may have been known for just straight up dramas or something very far removed from what you would think is a standard action film, we should be giving them more opportunities to not even necessarily prove themselves, but just to let them do something that they might actually want to do. You think back to Lexi Alexander directing Punisher Warzone, for example. And that was a film that, yeah, a lot of people dismissed when it first came out, but it wasn't long before everyone just appreciated it for being as outlandish and bonkers as it was. And it wasn't a matter of scrutinizing or dwelling on the fact that the woman was, uh, that the director was a woman. And to be fair, Lexi Alexander was coming as someone with a background in mixed martial arts fighting and did the great little drama Green Street, Green Street or Hooligans or however it's called. It's in the UK, it's called Hooligans. Over here, it's called Green Street. And in some circles, it's called Green Street Hooligans. I think that was the title I saw it under. Yeah, and it's, well, we're on the theme. The Russo brothers famously got considered for Civil War because of their work in community. Yeah. And that's just, that's not a jump that we let women make. And that, that's not against the Russo brothers, who I, I thought did a fantastic job in Civil War. Although their, but you uh, don't, their excuse for uh, LGBT uh, representation in Endgame was absolute ass. I'm just talking about the, I, I'm merely talking about where people will look for talent. People yes. will mine for male talent wherever they can see it. Yes. Men are judged on potential. Women are judged on final product. Yes, I agree. And Men get the entry-level multi-million-dollar franchises. Colin Trevorrow. <clears throat> sorry. I'm sorry. What? Um. Uh. The, the lost. The um. What was it? Um. Uh, Jurassic World. <laughs> okay. Mostly. Almost <laughs> inevitably. No, I'm just saying. Like there was a big stink about Colin Trevorrow. Like when he got um. Jurassic World, and then followed that up with The Book of Henry, Henry, which many considered to be one of the worst films ever made. I have heard about The Book of Henry, and yeah. the things I have heard about it make me unwilling to watch it. Um, I would not I'm not saying you. you couldn't pay me to watch <laughs> it. Yeah, I mean... Because I got dental work coming up, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> For any other reason. Yeah. And yeah, it does kind of, it does kind of tickle me that in a year where, you know, usually the Marvel films would be the comic book movies that dominated the conversation for, you know, the entire summer movie season or just the blockbuster movie season because they keep extending it out like on either end, you know, where Summer Blockbuster movie season is now starting in mid-April, but it's just kind of funny. Fine with that. Yeah, and it's just kind of funny that this year we had two comic book adaptations directed by women of color, and both of them had great stories and featured great fight choreography that I feel is better than most Marvel films, quite honestly. And I think the purpose it serves yeah. is more substantial than what you would see in your standard Marvel film. I don't know if I would go that far, but this is just, and I, I say this a lot about a lot of movies, I love the proliferation of different genres in streaming originals. I am thrilled that there are action movies made for streaming, because they often make some of the best action movies. No, they do. And unlike, yeah, interestingly, unlike the the Five Bloods, or it, this is an action movie that is longer than 90 minutes, but doesn't drag. Yeah, I and could I agree with that. And I think it's partially because it is so character-driven. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that 
if there's any through line for this film, it's that the characters are the most important thing. And even when you're looking at the music choices again, usually music choices in action movies are meant to accentuate the action. And it's interesting to watch this film and not to say that this is probably the first time it's happened, but it's always nice when the music choices are accentuating the characters within the action because the action's going to speak for itself if it's shot well and well staged and, and well choreographed. Fits. So you don't need anything audible to say, okay, here's why this action is cool. It's not like, you know, the scene in, say, Kingsman, for example, like the church scene everyone talks about. Do you not post the church scene in this one? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, actually. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, which has a really good soundtrack, which is a little more present than a lot of the other ones, but yeah, it, you get to, yeah, you can do a head to head comparison of the church fight scenes between this and Kingsman if you wanted. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Cause it would actually be pretty, and it would, it would be a pretty interesting comparison. I must say. Because I think for that one, I think it was like, what were they doing? Like Freebird or something was the song that they used. But I don't even remember. But it was something that was very much about accentuating the energy of the action scene more so than it was about accentuating the character. So I appreciated that when it came to certain action scenes in the old guard, their goal was not about trying to make the action more intense through music. It was about making sure you focused on the character performing the action. And I think that makes for a more substantial film overall, regardless of genre. I definitely agree. But yeah, I mean, this is a solid, you know, four and a half for me, quite honestly, I can't recommend it enough. Um, there has to, I, I need there to be a sequel. Oh, yeah. And obviously there's other stuff from the, um, from the comics that, you know, can be adapted for a future tale of these merry individuals who never die. Yeah, if uh, and of course we're it for any of you who are watching this from the distant future. <laughs> we are not right now in a time when people are starting to shoot movies. I I'm, <laughs> I would suspect if we if this was not quarantine time, I wouldn't be surprised if they would were this not quarantine time, given how well received it's been and given how much sequel potential it has i would not have i would have actually been surprised if they were not rushing to make a second one but they can't do that right now i mean they can obviously you know a script can be written some pre-production meetings can happen over zoom but it's all a matter of when you're going to be able to actually film the stuff so that's obviously the main concern so however much time this takes and you know there are some productions that are resuming as as we speak even though a lot of them still aren't but you know they're not trying to bring everything completely to a grinding halt and you know just if we just had the announcement of a trailer i would be satisfied and if we have to wait a year or two years before we can even start production i I would not fault them for that because obviously at the end of the day, we need to keep everybody safe. Yeah, and this is this is exactly the type of movie that is not amenable to being shot in any kind of COVID friendly way. It's all location, it's big crowd scenes. You can do a parlor, there's the marketplace scene at least. It's There's yeah, a lot of yeah. location, there, there are multiple people in you can't have a bottle episode of this kind of movie. No. And to be fair, I feel like they still kind of kept the scale of it really s small and intimate. 
because I it's agree. not like they have set pieces that are just large and expansive. This isn't like Six Underground, for example. That was a film that prided itself on having a lot of its action take place in populated areas where you could accentuate collateral damage. Like the who doesn't love that? And to be fair, the conceit of the, the whole concept of the old guard is such that they're trying to stay under the radar. Their whole thing is, we don't want people knowing about us that, you know, we can that we cannot die. Um, there's this great scene where um, Andy realizes she's had her picture taken by a group of tourists who are, you know, obviously not focused on her, but she turns at the wrong moment. Yeah, and the way she, I, I don't think we, the way that she handles that little moment is actually a really good character beat because this is almost as soon as we've meet, met her. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you just, she, the way she handles things is so smooth and so lived in. Yeah. It, and I, and that is why, just like you, I am giving this 4.5 spit out bullets out of five. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and yes, I did think in advance of why, of which one I wanted to do this time. Spit out bullets was always going to be the way I went. <laughs> Hey, hey, Joe, hey, Joe, how are you doing? I'm very pissed off. Like, that was the other thing. He had just some great, like, one-liners that were just so perfect and matter-of-fact. It's not even funny. No, it is funny. And it actually, again, a great character moment because it sets up another more profound moment um, later in the film, so... Again, there's so many great deliberate choices in this film. Like I said, I can't recommend it enough. I had so much fun watching it. Watched it again last night. I just had to because, oh, love it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. It's a great movie. And I would say that it does earn its R rating. Yes. So... I would not. Sh I, I would feel uncomfortable about showing this to somebody under, say, eleven. Yeah, yeah. But to that end, it's still not too gratuitous that you know younger audiences could watch it. Like if you caught your, you know, if you caught your twelve, thirteen-year-old, you know, child watching it, um, I'd probably watch it with them. And yeah, be this like, is not torture yeah. porn. No. You know, another example was I was watching Total Recall last night because I'm going to be doing a video about that with a friend. Um, New one or old one? The old one. And I take no shame in admitting that I actually enjoyed the remake. I know a lot of people hate it, but I had a lot of fun with it just from a production design standpoint. And... Um, Kate Beckinsale is in uh, the Sharon Stone role was actually pretty damn good. I don't doubt it. I never saw the new one because it sat because everybody said it sucked. But I'll mm. take your word for it. I actually saw that with my mother, and she her and her complaint was that there was too much action. I saw Magic Mike with my mother. <laughs> Touche. You got me down there. And my brother. And his then fiance now wife. Mm. Wow, that, that so that was a family outing. Sometimes <laughs> life comes at you fast. <laughs> That's like the motto for twenty twenty. You realize that, right? Oh, life. The motto for twenty twenty. No, the the motto for twenty twenty is scream in your heart from that Japanese amusement park. <laughs> okay i'll admit i did not expect that this year would be summed up in a rule at a japanese amusement park but it is it is uh, the dumpster fire was to 2016 the script the heart scream is to 2020 no no well <laughs> as harold harold jones once said in the aiding 
things could only get better. And, and as I said right now, why did you have to say that? <laughs> why? I don't, uh, I don't know. Anyway, if you want to reach <laughs> out to us on social media, we are available on Facebook at CTN Podcast. We've got an Instagram account that you can look up Cast of the Net Podcast and you will find us. Uh, video of our episodes are now going up on YouTube channels. So if you look up Cast of the Net Podcast, you will find us there on YouTube. Go ahead and also share your recommendations or if you've seen The Old Guard and want to share your opinions on the film with us, you can go ahead and give us an email by sending an email to castingthenetpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, keep on streaming, have fun, and... Stay home, stay safe, and stay sexy. I should say, though... Unlike mo next episode, you guys are in for a real treat because we are going to be covering Money Plane. Yes! Folks have been talking AKA about this Fra one. Yeah. Kelsey Grammer has a lot of alimony to pay. <laughs> <laughs> that he has to host gambling on, a air on an airplane. And Edge, uh, WWE superstar Edge is in it. A few other folks. It should be enjoyable. But yes. Not to mention, it's directed by Andrew Lawrence, the youngest of the Joey, Matthew, and, well, Andrew Lawrence brothers. And he cast, oh yeah, and he cast Joey in it. Oh, this is going to be up. a good one, people. Oh, I can't wait for this one. Stay tuned, folks, because that's going to be an episode. <laughs> oh, Catch you yes. later. Catch you later, guys. Bye.